Amen. Amen. Well, if you, uh, if you missed last Sunday, uh, it was a powerful time. And uh, can you just give it up for our media team who puts together all this stuff? <clears throat> just regularly so impressed by the volunteers, just an amazing team of volunteers that, that makes this stuff happen on a weekly basis. Uh, I want to welcome everybody here, especially those with on, online. So glad that you are here with us. And uh, thanks so much for celebrating birthday stuff. That's, that's just awesome. Thanks, Amber. Um, I'll just say this. Maybe it's, just, it's my birthday, so I can say whatever I want to. So um, can we just go back to the song that was just sung right here? God, it's just moving my heart while we're listening to that. Like, that's what life is about. Like, sometimes you young people... You're going to be 40 like me, and you're going to be old, you know. <laughs> and you're going to think, oh, man, and that's what it's about. It's not about the other stuff. And I know this season of your life, you're like, what am I going to do in the future? What am I going to have? Am I going to have a life? Am I going to have a husband? Am I going to have a house? Am I, what am I going to do? Am I going to go do some amazing things? Those are great things. That's great. At the end of your life, it's Christ. It's Christ alone. And the sooner you can figure that out, the sooner you're going to be satisfied because he's the only one that satisfies, okay? Nothing else will satisfy you, okay? So that's my birthday message, okay? <clears throat> uh, so uh, we're going to continue with the series. We've been in, as you know, we've been in the Jesus way as we're talking about uh, the life and the teachings of Jesus, looking through the back half of the book of Mark. Uh, and I've said this from the very beginning, the big so what for this series, super critical. Spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. We've said it over and over. The goal is not to look like your neighbor, it's to look like Christ, to look more and more like him. And so this morning, we got another challenge. We've got your Bibles, we're going to go there quick. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse number 42, as you're turning there, uh, we are in our Bible reading plan. We're in Mark now, so if you haven't been with us, jump on in. You can go to the app, you can go to our website and uh, find the reading plan. But would you stand with me as we're going to read just two verses here together as we get started? Mark 10, 42 says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do want to speak to us. So God, I pray that we would open our ears for a moment to let go of everything else that's going on in our world, that's going on in our lives, and God, to hear from you, and that we'd walk out of this place with a different perspective. We pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Uh, question, how many of you like to play games, like you enjoy playing games? That's a fun thing for you, okay? Some of you out there, okay? Turn to your neighbor for a second. I want you to tell them what is your favorite game, okay? Not a sport, your favorite game. Turn to your neighbor. <clears throat> if you're online, you can type it into the feed. Let us know what your favorite games are. All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, how many, of you, how many of you, your favorite game is a card game? Raise your hand if you like card games. Some of you guys like card games. That's great. 
My wife's family, they like to play card games. I, I married into this family, they play lots of cards. And, and I just didn't play, grow up playing a lot of cards. So the issue isn't that I don't like playing cards, the issue is that I stink. Can anybody relate? I just stink. Like, I don't understand it. Like, I never get the good cards. Everybody else always gets the good cards. And then when I do get a card, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just horrible and horrible. Amber can vouch for that. I just, I feel overwhelmed, right? But here's the deal. When you play a new game and you, you know, you're trying to learn how to do this thing, the first thing you ask is, what are the rules, right? What are the rules? What are the boundaries? How are we supposed to play this game? I need the parameters if I'm going to understand how to play this game. And why is that critical? Because without it, you're wandering on aimlessly through the game, just throwing cards around like I am most of the time, okay? The sad reality is I think for many believers, this is what happens to us in our faith. We honestly, we understand that Jesus has called us to faith. We know that faith matters, but we struggle to know how to live out this faith on a day-to-day basis. And honestly, much of what Jesus calls us to feels totally upside down compared to the world that we live in, doesn't it? Like it feels in conflict with that. And honestly, the way that most of us were raised, the things he asked are crazy. And the challenge for us as followers of Christ is this. If we don't know what the target is, if we don't really know what we're aiming at, what we're shooting at, what the boundaries are, then how do we know when we're actually doing it right, when we're succeeding in this thing called faith? Jesus recognized this very same struggle in his disciples. He saw the exact same problem because these followers, if if you're familiar with scripture, you got the disciples and they all gave up everything. They they sold everything. They left everything to go follow Jesus. But at the same time, they were consistently clueless about what it really meant to live in his kingdom. We see it happen over and over again. And so we go to the passage that we looked at, and I'm going to just give you the context real quick. Some of you are like, didn't we just preach this one a few weeks ago? You're right, we did. Week one of this series, we looked at the same passage. This morning, we're going to look at this passage and use it as a springboard to a deeper and a bigger and a broader conversation. So what happens here in verse number 35, if you follow along in chapter 10, uh, two of the disciples, James and John, come up to Jesus. All the j- disciples are around. James and John come up to Jesus and are like, hey, Jesus. When you come into the fullness of your kingdom, right? When you kind of do it all, right? One of us, can one of us be on your left and one of us be on your right? See, they're trying to be number two. Like they're vying for the number two position in Jesus' kingdom because they understand this thing's gonna be big and we really wanna be up there. Why is it they wanna be number two? Because they understood something. They wanted the power and they wanted the influence. See, this conversation about who is the greatest in in God's kingdom, the disciples had this conversation actually multiple times. Jesus had to stop them on multiple occasions because their view was, all right, if we can be the greatest, like if we're up on top, then we get to call the shots. We're the ones in control. Everybody will serve us. This will be awesome. That's what everybody wants. And Jesus sees this in his disciples, and he realizes they're still thinking the wrong way. They gave everything up. They're here to follow me. They are my disciples, but they still need to be trained on what does it look like to live in my kingdom. And so he calls them all together and he flips the script on them the way that they think. And here's what it says in verse 42. You know that those who are regarded regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know how it works in the world. When you're up on top, 
everybody's there for you. But four critical worlds, words, not so with you. Not so with you. That's how everybody else does it, but not so with you. In my kingdom, things are different. Like the way that you normally think you should operate, it might be different than that. So you have to understand this. And he goes on in this specific instance and says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's saying the natural way of thinking is often wrong. When it comes to serving, you're here to serve, not to be served. You're here to look more like me. But I think in a broader sense, Jesus says to us over and over and over again, not so with you. Because if you want to live in my kingdom, you're my disciple. That's awesome. You're in the kingdom of God. That's great. Now, I need to teach you what that looks like. What does it mean to live in my kingdom? Kingdom. And so I want to get to our big so what this morning early, and then we're going to kind of walk through some things together. The big so what this morning is this. Committing to God's kingdom means a new way of living. Committing to God's kingdom means a new way of living. It's like when you get married. Some of you guys out there are going to know what I'm talking about here. Because when you get married, you realize, I got to do some stuff different. <laughs> like the way that I lived before is not going to work the same. There was this, there's this thing like when you... When you go to the bathroom, you have to put the toilet seat back down. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was never an issue before. Like, I thought, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I know how to live. That's great. I had to change some things, you know? Maybe you can relate to this. Like, because I lived on my own plate. I, like, I know how to live. I know how to do these things. And when I was living, you know, with just the guys, you know, we had a really, really normal process. Like, you eat a meal, and then you take the plate, and you set it in the sink, Right? And then when the sink is so full that you can't fit anymore, then you wash them and you start over again. Does that make sense, right? That's how I thought you're supposed to do that. But I discovered there's something called a dishwasher. Hallelujah. There you go. And, and I'm, supposed to put, I'm supposed to put the plate in the dishwasher. I'm helping somebody here today. I know, okay? Right? And then like when you get up in the morning... Apparently, you're supposed to make a bed. Like, I'm under the assumption, like, I'm going to get back in this bed in 15 or 16 hours. Why would I waste time making it? That seems like a waste. But I've learned this is something you do. And there's this thing we understand. When you get married, things are going to be different. Like, you live a different way. And the same thing is true. Committing to God's kingdom means a new way of living. And we get that because some things are probably going to have to change. The problem is this, is most of us think we know how to be a good person. So when we come to Jesus, we think that we just need to be good people. We can do this. The problem is who gets to define what good is? Because a lot of times we're like, yeah, is it, is it, am I the one that defines what good is? Is my mama who defines what good is? Like, is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it culture that defines? Oh, here's what culture says good is, so I'm going to be a good person. That means I'm a Christian because I'm good. And they say, no, 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 no. That's not how it works because the disciples are the same. It's not like they're trying to be bad people in this text. Like, I'm trying to be bad. No, they thought it would be good to be on top. That's the good. That's where the blessing is. That's the great stuff. And Jesus is saying, no. You don't get to define that. Culture doesn't define what good is. This is my kingdom, right? In my kingdom, I define what good is. I draw what the boundaries are. 
You see, in a modern church, in the modern church, we use this phrase of inviting Jesus into our heart. How many of you heard that phrase before? You know, invite Jesus into my heart. That's right. We say, we say that. We teach our kids something. And I understand. I think there's some good elements. There's this idea of the, the spirit indwelling us. All these kind of things are good things. But, but hear this. To a much greater extent, he isn't invited in. We are invited into his kingdom. Okay? You're invited. You've been invited into his kingdom. We come under the rule and the reign of Jesus. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are invited to become citizens of the kingdom of God, his great and his glorious kingdom, the kingdom that will never end. And in that kingdom, he calls the shots. He determines, he defines the terms. He sets the expectations. This kingdom is one that every single one of us is invited into but it seems foreign to us in a lot of ways. What he asks of us doesn't always make sense. So what does it look like to be in his kingdom? Most simplistically, we're, there's a passage we're gonna look at in a couple of weeks. This whole, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself, right? Very simply, love is the, that's the core. That's the thing he's pushing us at. That's great, okay? And as I said, we're gonna talk about that in a few weeks, but, but the problem with that is that if we allow ourselves to define what love is, we still don't know how to live that thing out. And so... The challenge is for us is that, that well, specifically, what does love look like in your kingdom? How does this life really look? And I think the most clear understanding is actually found in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapter five through seven. There's a very clear presentation of this is what kingdom living looks like. And what we're gonna do over the next 15 minutes before we wrap this message up is I'm gonna do a flyover of the entire Sermon on the Mount. And what we're going to see in here is God speaking to our hearts about what does it really look like to be kingdom people, to live in God's kingdom, and how it is absolutely flipping everything upside down that we would normally think, all right? So if you want to turn with me, you're welcome to do that. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to have these verses on the screen, but you're welcome to follow along with me, all right? So we're going to do a flyover. Here we go. Start that, starts right out of the gates. Steph sang that beautiful song. It started off using stuff from the Beatitudes. Right out of the gates, Jesus goes to the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And right away, he flips everything upside down. Because in our world, who, you come with your strength. You come with your resume. You say, look how great I am. He says, you want to enter my kingdom? You come with your weakness. You come with, I don't have any. The ones who get the kingdom of heaven are the ones who are spiritually bankrupt. Who say, I got nothing, God. Awesome. Come on in. You get to enter. You don't enter with your strength. You enter with your weakness. He goes to verse number 11 here. And it says this, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. What? Because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Like that makes no sense in our world. Like blessed are you when you're persecuted? Seriously? Like that does not seem good. But Jesus is saying, no, you don't understand in this world, it may not feel like blessing, but in my kingdom, it absolutely is blessing. You want the good stuff? It's good. Lay yourself down for righteousness sake. There is blessing that comes in your life through that. You're like, again, makes no sense. We get to verse number 23. It says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Now, in our world, you say, this doesn't really matter here. As long as I got this going on with God, we're good, right? Like, this is the most important. You know, somebody's mad, not a big deal. God says, you can't separate the, the vertical from the horizontal. 
You just can't. If you want to follow me, then this does matter. Your relationships with other people, it absolutely matters. You cannot disconnect the two. Oh, I'm just a spiritual person. Me and God are fine. Those other people, I just don't even think of. No, no, no. You got to deal with that. Kingdom people live different. I know this doesn't seem like the way the world works, but this is how my kingdom people live. They live different than everybody else does. It goes on in verse number 38. Some of you are familiar with this passage. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I might be taken advantage of if I do this. Yep. Do you think Jesus was taken advantage of? See, he's saying, I'm not saying this is like the easy thing, the fun thing. I'm just telling you this is how my people live. This is what kingdom people look like. And sometimes you are going to be disadvantaged. Sometimes it's going to be challenged. You're like, I'm going to get walked over. Sometimes you're going to get walked over. That's what's going to happen. But he's saying in my kingdom, you just live differently. You don't think like everybody else does. You walk in a different direction. We go on here to verse number 43. What does it say? It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. It's like, okay, Jesus. Okay, I get the I shouldn't hate my enemy thing. <laughs> I, can do the, I can do the not hating, but now I need to love my enemies. Like that's a bit extreme. But then you wanna go a step further and the person who literally has just hurt me, I'm supposed to pray blessing over them. For some of us, we're just like, nah, I don't know about that. I don't know that I can even do that. He's like, that's great. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. But if you wanna live in my kingdom, this is how we do things. This is what my kingdom looks like. It looks different than the world. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's to begin stepping, walking in step with my kingdom way of doing things. That's what he's inviting us into. Not so with you. We do things different around here. We get to chapter six, verse number one. What does it say? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. Now he's setting up a big principle here. Okay, setting up a very big principle because he's going to talk about three different areas. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. Boom, 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 right in a row. And here's what he's saying. First off, giving to the needy. If you're going to give something to the needy, don't make a big deal about it. That's not how our world works. What do we do in our world? Let's get the biggest check I can find. Okay. And we're going to get the photographers. Or look at what I'm giving. Look how awesome I am. I'm a great person. No, that's not what kingdom people do. Kingdom people say, no, I am going to give. I give in the quiet. I give when nobody else sees it. Why? Because I'm not here to try and get accolades. I'm here to try and be faithful to my Lord and my King, okay? But it's more than just giving to the needy. We talk about uh, prayer. The very next passage talks about prayer. And he says, listen, when you pray, here's what you don't do. Don't go stand on a hill and, thou wast heavenly father, who doth be highest on the heavens above, you know, whatever it is. Like, like so you know people that do that. He's like, don't do that. Don't make a scene. You don't talk in King James. Don't pray in King James. Just use your words, okay? Like the normal ones. The ones you were using for the last three hours, use those ones. And don't make a big deal in front of everybody. Like, everybody, look at me praying. No, just pray what you need to pray. 
And when you want to seek God, you know what you do? Go in a room somewhere. Close the door so nobody else sees it. And you spend time with God. Because why? It's about him. It's not about everybody else seeing you. See, that's how my kingdom people live. And then he gets to fasting. And don't even get me started on the fasting one. Because in fasting, what does he say? When you fast, here's what you do. You go put some makeup on. You cover, you pinch your cheeks so you still look rosy. You're not looking pale and sickly, okay? And don't let anybody know you're fasting. He's like, act normal. Don't make a big deal. Don't tell anybody that you're fasting. What do we do in our world? Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. I'm fasting social media for the next month. So if you need to get a hold of me, you're going to have to text me privately. I'm like, first of all, nobody cares that much that you're not on social media. And secondly, you're not supposed to tell anybody. Like, just don't tell anybody. You know? (laughs) Drives me crazy. I have to be mature and keep my mouth shut sometimes. But like, he's like, don't do this. Kingdom people don't live that way. We're not about, hey, look at me, look at me. We're no, God, I'm going to be faithful to you and nobody's looking. Like, that's what I'm going to do. We go on then in verse number 19, it says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in. It goes on to say, store up your treasures in heaven, okay? And some of you are like, well, I'm good with my finances. I'm wise with my finances. You know, I invest, I invest, I'm ready for, I'm gonna be ready for retirement. I'm preparing all those things. He's like, that's really good if you're living for this kingdom in this world. But there's another step to take if you're a kingdom person. You're not just thinking about these 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. You're thinking about eternity. And how do I take and orient my finances in a way where I say, God, it's all about you. I want your kingdom to come. I want to put you first, and my finances will reflect that. That's what a kingdom person does. They're thinking different. They're thinking in a better way, a higher way than everyone else is. We go on. This is going to meddle with some of you. Verse 25 says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. We worry a ton, don't we? Like our world is filled like you should be freaked out all the time. They're fueling your fear all the time. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Like, trust me, I'm the king. I'm in control. He said, cast your burdens onto me. Seek my kingdom first and I'll take care of everything. You don't need to worry. You live different. I know that everyone else is freaking out, but you're a kingdom person. And kingdom people stand firmly on me. They don't freak out about everything. And when you are worried, what do we do? We do what it says in Philippians. We take our worries and we shape them into prayers. We hand them over and we say, God, I'm standing on you. You're where my hope is, okay? It goes on in verse, uh, let's see, chapter seven, verse one says this. Do not judge or you too will be judged for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. We live in a world that says, cancel, 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 cancel. And we all know the reality that if our past was brought to light, we'd all be canceled at some point. I've done stupid things, right? And I for sure would be canceled for something stupid I've done in my life, okay? And this is the problem. In our world, though, we value, see, see, look what they're all doing. Those horrible people, they're being judged all the time. And we're so fast to do that. We don't even know the truth most of the time. And we're just, he's saying, listen, I know that's how the world works, but that's not how kingdom people work. We do things differently. It goes on to say, you're trying to pull a plank out of somebody else's eye when, or a speck out of someone else's eye when you got a plank in your own eye. He said, pull the plank out first and then go try and help them. And so what does that say to me? For us as followers of Christ, kingdom people, we're far more measured than the world is. What does that mean? We're not reactionary. We will stop and we will gain the truth 
rather than just jumping on the bandwagon. And I will say this clearly. I, I've taken some shots over the last couple years, Amber and I both, because we've tried to remain measured and not reactionary to everything that happens in our world. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not because we're not willing to respond. It's because we want to try and do this. We want to respond when we know truth and walk in that. Because kingdom people don't live like everybody else does. We have a different way of doing things, okay? We go on, though, and the, the last one we're going to read here, verse number 13 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the end goal. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a broad road. Do whatever you want to. Go for it. That's your choice. But you want to be my kingdom person. You want to live in my kingdom. The road's a lot more narrow. You don't do things like everybody else does. We do things differently. And what I love about this is that Jesus literally flips the normal way of the world on its head. Again, you can live that way. Listen to it. You can do this. You can be somebody who's arrogant. You're all about your strengths and what you can do. You can be somebody who runs away from any pain whatsoever. You can be somebody who says, you know what? People don't matter as long as I got things going on with God. You can be the kind of person who when anybody hurts you, you can just hurt them right back. Pay them back because they deserve it. When somebody hurts you, you're not praying for them. You're hoping that they get cursed in some way. You can do that. You can be the person who like, when you do something great, you're like, I'm giving. Look at me. I'm giving stuff to people and I'm praying now. Everybody, I'm fasting. Life is so hard. You can do that if you want to. That's your choice. And when it comes to your treasure, you can use all your money and use it up right now. Live for yourself right now. And you can freak out and worry about everything. You can do that. And you can be judgmental. And you can run around and just point out everybody else's problems. And you can take the wide road. And it leads to destruction. See, when you list all the stuff, you realize that it isn't God's kingdom that's upside down. It's the world. And what he's inviting us into is something so much better, something beautiful, something that actually is enticing for our soul. Like when you see somebody living out these values, what it means to be a kingdom person, it grabs your heart. Yeah. Committing to God's kingdom means a new way of living. On Friday, I had the privilege of being at a... a a funeral to celebrate a life. But I didn't really want to be at that funeral because it was a life that was taken far too soon in my eyes. 28-year-old woman, um, amazingly, we had a relationship. I know a number of people in our congregation have had a relationship with her in the past. And it was one of those ceremonies where the entire time you're just feeling, you're feeling a little bit of the heaviness you know, of the moment. But what was amazing was how for the entire two-hour service, person after person after person stepping up and sharing just the amazing life that she lived. And as they were sharing about her, and she just had a heart to give, to serve, to lay herself down. You want to talk about modeling a life like Christ had? That was exactly what she did. But as I was listening to this stuff, here's the two things that were going on in my mind. Number one is, man, I got to do better. <laughs> Because, man, this is, this is a model of what it looks like to lay your life down. This is powerful. Like, it was encouraging. But at the same time, it was so beautiful. Like, that's right. Like, I know that I don't live this way perfectly, but, man, it, I want to. 
Like that's something I would aspire to. I want to be more like that. And this is what we have to understand when it comes to living in the kingdom of God. Is although it can feel upside down at times, it can feel different than what is normal. It's absolutely what God desires and it's what's best. It's what is enticing for us. And I believe that although there's times where you're like, I don't want to pray for my enemies, here's what I know. If you do, God actually changes your heart in a way that you can't even fathom. And so although it may seem weird, it's actually the best thing for you. Just like forgiving that person makes no sense to you, especially when they've done horrible things that hurt you, and Jesus says, forgive them. Because they deserve it? No, because I forgave you and you didn't deserve it. But through forgiving them, you know what happens? You're set free. That person no longer has control over your life. Because as long as you hold, withhold your forgiveness, they still control you and own you. And see, these are the things we have to understand that God's inviting us into this great story. And the big so what, right? This whole idea that, that committing to God's kingdom means a new way of living. It means stepping out. It means taking another step in a direction toward him, saying, God, I need to relearn, retrain myself of how to live. Just like the married people, I got to relearn what it means to live. And so I want to leave us all with a very practical thing to walk out the door with this morning. This is a very practical message, I hope. I hope we're challenging our hearts to say, God, help me to actually live this thing. There's a question I want to give you. How many of you remember back in the 90s? There was a bracelet that was out there. Remember those? You know what I'm talking about? WWJD bracelets. Woo! They were super cool. The young kids don't know what we're talking about. They were these super cheesy bracelets we used to wear. What would Jesus do? You asked that question. I don't know about you, but that's, that question was really uh, overwhelming for me because I'm like, I can't be Jesus. <laughs> like, that's too much. And so the question that I want to give us here this morning is this. What would a kingdom person do? Why am I giving you this question? Because it separates you from the circumstance. So listen to me for a second. I want you to give me your eyes for a second. Give you a, give you a circumstance. Someone hurts you, right? They hurt you. They are horrible to you, okay? In that moment, rather than saying, oh, how should I respond? Step back from the circumstance and say, how would a kingdom person live? What would a kingdom person do in this circumstance? You say, okay, well, a kingdom person would forgive them and a kingdom person would actually choose to love them and a kingdom person would actually pray blessings over their life okay now the question is do i want to be a kingdom person because you know what to do if you're going to be a kingdom person at that point you've taken yourself out of the circumstance because sometimes we're so emotional we don't even know how to deal with the circumstance my wife hurts me she does something mean to me right and in the moment i want to react but if i can stop and say okay what would a kingdom person do Okay, kingdom person would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Kingdom person would choose to lay themselves down and serve her even though I don't feel like it. That's what a kingdom person would do. Okay, do I want to be a kingdom person? It's very simple. Okay, then I should, I should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become. I, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. You can detach yourself from the circumstance for a moment. Just ask your cross. And this is why we say it's so critical for us to be in the word of God. Why? Because some of us, we've said yes to Jesus. We have no idea what he's asking of us. The only thing you get is what I teach you on Sundays. And this is why I say get in the word. Know what he asks. So that when the circumstances come, you can say, okay, I know how I should respond based on what he's taught me. 
And so we're gonna, what we're going to do this week, just be aware they've already worked on some of them. This week, probably tomorrow, we're going to send out some graphics to the church. And these are things that you can either put on your phone or that you can put on, the, on your wallpaper on your computer, just asking this very question, what would a kingdom person do? And for some of you, you maybe need to write this question down. You need to put it somewhere on your, uh, you know, on your mirror or something like that. And allow this to be, because I believe this, this question could be just a cute thing that you toss away and never touch again if you walk out the door. But if you will take it with you and use this question, I honestly think it could transform your life. Because oftentimes we know the right thing. We just choose to not do that. My prayer is, God, more and more way I say yes to you and no to everything else. I want to live as you've called us. Would you stand with me across the room? just want to pray over you. Pray a blessing you as we walk out the door here this morning. If you want to respond to Christ, if you truly want to say, God, help me to be more of a kingdom person, would you just put your hand over your heart and say, that's me, God. God, we just come to you. We, Lord, we want to live for you. As we sang earlier, we stand on you. You 